Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 83 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I get to speak with a truly inspiring woman. Kelly went through the horror of child loss, not once, but twice. First, her daughter, Alicia, was killed when she was hit by a car while riding her bike. And then 11 years later, her oldest son, Jason, was killed in a work-related auto accident. Now, I don't want the fact that she lost two children in two different accidents to scare you off and not make you listen to this episode because, wow, Kelly is really inspiring and had so much to share and to teach. And her giving spirit just really flows throughout. So I just want you to enjoy and learn from today's guest, Kelly. Thank you so much, Kelly, for agreeing to be on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I appreciate the invitation. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. You wrote to me just a few short weeks ago just thanking me for the podcast, and that prompted up a little conversation, and next thing you know, here you are on the show. (laughs) Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't you start out by telling the audience about your family? I have four children, Uh but two have passed away, and then um, I have two living children who are adults, my oldest is 36 now, unmarried, and then my youngest is 32, and she's married, and she has four children, and wow. so I have grandchildren that I absolutely adore, and my husband has a son, and we have three grandkids and one great-grandchild from his son's kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so we're great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband and I are getting ready to celebrate 30 years of marriage in May. And um, we're excited about that. We actually started dating just before Alicia died. And so we'd been dating about six months and continued the relationship. So we feel very blessed and very fortunate to have uh, stayed married since the death of not one, but two of my children after Mm -hmm. our relationship started. So we don't have any kids together, but we have uh, five total. Mm -hmm. and seven grandkids and one great grandchild. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start out by talking about Alicia? Or you can talk about Alicia and Jason, whichever you'd like to do. So um, Alicia is my second child, first daughter. So she was uh, nine years old and she uh, loved soccer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was quite the leader for her young age. She was very tall also. 
So she was much more mature than a lot of almost 10 year olds. She was definitely a peacemaker and she did not like it when there was conflict. And so regardless of who it was and my husband and I, we have specific memories of like, if we were having some type of a little argument, Alicia would literally take his hand, take my hand and make us hold hands because she just really didn't like conflict. And uh, she did that. She was like that at school. She was like that with her siblings. I think so much of the time, those middle kids can be like that. They can be. Yes, that's true. Keep people together. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. Yeah, she, gosh, you know, she loved riding her bicycle and mm-hmm. playing soccer. She loved school. She, her teachers loved her. She was just smart and funny and fun. She had beautiful long hair mm-hmm. and just, you know, obviously not a saint. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, so um, I had Audrey's my youngest daughter and she was two and Alicia was the little mommy. I had to constantly tell her to let Audrey talk, let her walk, you know, let her do these things. You know, all uh, all Audrey had to do was kind of go, uh, and Alicia would be right there. What do you want? Do you want to drink a water? Are you hungry? You know, here, let me carry you. So she loved her little sister and loved Robert, who at the time was six and Gosh, I mean, she rode a four-wheeler. We loved camping. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It sounds it's, like a ball of energy. She she was very, very energetic. Uh-huh. She was, yes, you're making me remember a bunch. So thank you. I, I love that. I think that's just so key just to remember who they were and just the wonderful, fun things about our kids. So It's true. And Jason, my firstborn, Mm-hmm. and big brother to all the other kids. So Jason, um, I had Jason when I was one, I was still 17. I was one week oh, wow. for, from turning 18 years old. I was pregnant in high school. Mm-hmm. I love being a mom yeah. and love being pregnant. And my pregnancy went really well. And Jason just he, through his whole life, he giggled. Even as a, a man, a young man, he giggled. And so he was very tall and a little plump, not not overly, but his nickname was the Pillsbury Doughboy. And he and he played football in high school and loved cars and girls. And he was he was the person that everybody called to see what was going on on Friday night. Yeah. And so he was, he definitely was more of a leader and just very outgoing and very, very personable, always smiling and giggling. I don't think he liked school so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he eventually started working for the phone company in Detroit area and uh, was a pole climber. Yeah. Oh, gosh, he just filled a room. Build a room. When he came in the room, people just clustered around him. They talked, they laughed, they told jokes. They just had a lot of fun when Jason was around. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go into now what happened with Alicia, first of all, 
and the effect that had then on you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I had uh, just turned 30 years old. I was a single mom with my four kids mm-hmm. and life actually was for the first time in my life going fairly well. Um, I was back in college and, oh, let's see. I had a part-time job and our house was just really full of peace for a couple of years, two years. Mm -hmm. And the kids and I all just worked really well together and had a good system going. Um, I had started dating my current husband. And so we were kind of incorporating, you know, this new relationship into our um, home We didn't live together, but, you know, he was around, Mike was around quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So we tried to do a lot of family things. And that's when we started camping with Mike took my four kids and I camping and. Wow. That's brave, actually. I know. (laughs) Yes. His friends thought he was crazy dating somebody with four children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did too, personally. (laughs) But says a lot about a guy though, doesn't it? Yes. He's Mm -hmm. been steadfast, thankfully. Mm But um, that's when we all learned how to ride the four-wheelers and motorcycles. I'd always loved camping, so we got back into camping. And we did a lot of things like that. And you're out in Colorado, so that's a really outdoorsy yes. kind of place. Yes, mm-hmm. and, we, and we still love doing that. Mm-hmm. And we still go quite a lot. But anyway, about I was in college, and then my aunt had this terrible accident and that was in Boise, Idaho, which is where I was born and raised. Mm -hmm. And so we went back to Boise to see my aunt who we had not expected to live. And thankfully she did. But while we were in Boise, my aunt lived just like mm, a quarter of a block away from my mom. Mm -hmm. And Alicia had gone over to my mom's house and She asked to go play with her cousins just down the road, which was a busy two-lane highway. He was riding a bicycle over there. They did not, uh, they weren't home. So just in that small space of road on her way back, um, she was hit by a car. Another car was passing a car and she the the driver shannon she thought she could pass safely she was pretty inexperienced just 19 and as she was passing she panicked and slammed on her brakes and her brakes locked and hit alicia so that happened in this small gap between my aunt's house and my mom's house and um, it was a very horrible accident Um, Alicia really was broken from head to toe, but bless her heart. And I thank God for this, but she did live for six days. So she lived through all the brain surgeries and all the other surgeries to repair different parts of her body. But, but she died on the sixth day from brain swelling. Mm -hmm. And of course we were all shocked because nobody thought she would have survived that first day anyway. Right. But, but um, she did die and we did organ donation and all of that. And it was very, very difficult as you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we, 
if if I can put in a couple of things that yeah. I feel are miraculous. Yeah. Only about a month before Alicia died, she came into my sewing room and said, when I die, I want to be buried in Boise. And of course I was, what? Yeah. And, and then she just ran back outside and started playing. Oh my goodness. So of course she died in Boise where she was also born. So she is buried in Boise which is where all of my family lives except a couple of people. And I thought that was God's way of preparing mm-hmm. me and taking care of a detail. Yeah. And there really were hundreds of things that God took care of two years in, you know, before Alicia died. And I'm so grateful for that because they were just things that, I didn't have to think about, I didn't have to wonder. It just was just automatically already in my spirit, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite miraculous that somehow I, I, I say it's the Holy spirit, Mm -hmm. just a gift. Encourage her to say that. Yep. It was a gift. Yeah. Just a gift. Yeah. And you said there were a couple other things too. Oh gosh. For instance, um, the two weeks, Prior to her death, I had worked for a week with a young man, and he was for he was only eighteen or nineteen years old at the time, but he was quite the evangelist. Mm-hmm. So where we were working, when customers would come in, he would just start talking about the Lord to them. And in that process between customers, we talked a lot about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I had asked him a bunch of questions, and I had circled all these different verses in my Bible about the questions that I had. And then those things ended up being what I talked about at Alicia's funeral. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't put a lot of thought into this. Uh, There'll be more that will pop into my mind, but I mean, those are significant to me. Very, very significant. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I honestly, it's hard for me to understand how anybody can go through the loss of a child without God. I believe it saved my life having God in my life mm-hmm. during all of my experiences. Yeah. There are a lot of people that say that, that's for certain. And and I know I definitely turned to my faith as well. And I don't I don't know how I would have made it through without I know people do, but I they it do would be, it would be difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. They do. Mm -hmm. It took a long time. Obviously, I was grieving. I didn't, I did not seek out much by way of counseling. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had done that earlier and longer. The kids and I did go to some counseling three or four times, but it was so difficult. I was tired from school and work, they were tired. We were sad and it really was, it was a fight to get us all, you know, like in the car and to counseling. And at the time, it seemed just a lot easier not to do it and just to, you know, try to pray our way through it Mm -hmm. and lean on my faith, which of course was challenging at the time. So I... Mm -hmm. 
I try to encourage everybody that I hear who has gone through a loss to seek out um, some type of grief counseling now earlier. It was, it was, I, I bet it was 20 years after Alicia died and, and Jason died that I finally went to a grief support long-term and it changed my life for the better. And had I done it sooner, I think I would have had a lot more joy over the years than I had. Yeah, I spoke to a dad just recently, and he said he he ran for eight years. He ran his to try to deal with his grief, and then you realize that just running is not going to really help your grief. Like he was in really good shape and could do all sorts of races, <laughs> but his grief was no better off than it had been eight years ago. And so then you have to start. Then it's it's this. It's so hard, but it is something. You can ignore it, but it won't just go away. I mean, at some point to truly heal, you really do have to deal with it. Not that everyone does. I think some people just shove it away forever, but that's not living in a healthy way either. Mm -hmm. I became a workaholic and all it did was delay my healing and prolong my pain. Yeah. And I can see it clearly now. Yeah. But when you don't face the pain when you don't walk into that trauma per se it does just delay it and it it just grows and grows inside you like a disease and keeps you living in fear i believe and keeps you from actually becoming all that you can be in spite of the tragedies yeah That's a very good point. I like that point a lot, that it really does hold you back uh, in so many ways and it does limits what you're going to be able to do with your life if you're just kind of stuck in this one area. And I've certainly seen people like that. I mean, my husband and I have seen people like that in the grief support groups that we go to. Like sometimes you just see people and they're just seem stuck and they don't seem to be, be moving and... I just always feel like I want to keep moving and whether I'm moving forward, backward, sideways, whatever, I'm moving. I'm still moving because that the idea of being stuck is just horrible. <laughs> I do agree with you. I, you know, having three other children, being a single mom for part of that time, I was moving a lot, but I was really going nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it was really all I could do just to get my kids up for school, get them fed, get me to work or school. And it it was very, very challenging. It was obviously the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And that lasted a long time. I think probably around seven years after Alicia died, I finally started seeing bits of my old self, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, starting to recognize Kelly again. Yeah. So I have to say every day, every day I begged God, please don't ever let this happen again. Yes. Please don't ever let this happen again. Mm -hmm. After around the seven or eight years, when I was getting close to the Lord again, and allowing him to actually comfort me and grow me and move me. 
my prayer changed to please don't ever let this happen again. But I know if it did, you would be with me. Mm -hmm. And so it stayed like that for a couple of years. And I would imagine, I mean, as I look back, when I, I finally started seeing some good come out of it, out of Alicia's death, in that I was supporting other parents yes. who had lost children. Mm-hmm. And I was writing about writing about it. I could see how God was using uh, my experience to help other people know that they weren't alone. Yes. And I think that's how I felt for so long was I was alone. I didn't really, because I didn't go out to support groups and, you know, I, I stayed in a cocoon with my own writing. So I was in, in my house, but because I wasn't out actually surrounding myself with other people, with my experiences, I really felt very, very alone for so many years. Mm-hmm. So my my hope became, I don't want these other parents to be alone. And so I got very vocal through my writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started helping other people. And then, of course, when I finally went to grief support, then I became a facilitator through our um, support, grief support group at through church. And that's been a big help. But, you know, that's it's amazing that jumped way forward. It's amazing, though, how much helping others helps yourself. Completely. I, yeah, I w- I'm kind of blown away by that, actually. I did not really expect for that to be the case. I mean, I I very much felt called to start the podcast as I've shared on the show before. I it's kind of crazy cuz I just am not a podcast. I never really hardly listen to a podcast except my husband's on occasion. I didn't even listen to his all the time and and then suddenly I get this thought put in my head when I couldn't find a podcast, yep, that means you're supposed to start one. And I was like, that's just seems like a crazy thought. But after I did, you know, of course, my husband's very encouraging. I started it in about started recording in August of 2019. And then released the first episodes in September. And you know, interestingly, I still had not gone back to work at that point in time. But within two months of my release, I really felt healthy enough to return to work and to see patients and to see kids and to be a pediatrician again. And that really was because I felt like I could help other people in mm. this. And and it, it was turning things outward instead of having everything focused still inward, which I needed to focus inward for a while. And I think it's very important to focus inward so you can get to your healing But once I hit that point where I was ready to focus everything outward, the healing just was tremendous. Yes, Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. So how did people, so you started writing and how did people like find your writing that you found these other people? Did you post it online or? Two things. Mm -hmm. I started a newspaper. Okay. A community newspaper. So I write a monthly column Mm -hmm. in every newspaper. And in that column, I write about a lot of the experiences that I've had 
in my life, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, include divorce or and domestic violence, the loss of my children, parenting, grandparenting. So I write a lot that way. After Alicia died, I finally did get the courage to write as a freelance writer and actually, you know, submit things to magazines and um, work on a book and different things like that. I felt like, I mean, I've been, I had wanted to be a writer since seventh grade, yeah. but I never had the courage. And so about four years after Alicia died, I had the courage to go to a writer's conference, talk to people, pitch an idea. And I actually sold my article. Mm-hmm. I figured if I could survive death of a child, I can s- certainly survive rejection yes. from, you know, publishers. And so her death helped me realize I was a lot stronger than I thought I was. Yeah. Because we kept moving forward. We, we did persevere. We, you know, the children and I, and then I did get married and my husband. So we, we did keep moving forward, just not as emotionally healthy as I could have been. And probably my other children could have been as well. I I had a lot of courage from Alicia. It certainly must have been difficult to raise the other three kids after Alicia's death. Yeah. I think what was so hard with that part was we were all trying to protect each other. Yes. And so we wouldn't talk. Yeah. You know, the kids were young at the time. Jason was 12. Robert was six. Audrey was two. And we sat together a lot, Mm -hmm. but we didn't, we didn't talk. We didn't laugh and cry and all that about Alicia because we all were in so much pain. And I think the kids were trying to protect me, you Mm -hmm. know, so mom won't cry. And then if they were playing with their friends stuff, you know, I wouldn't approach them about anything because I wanted them to enjoy their day or, you know. And you want them to have a happy childhood, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And you know how everybody is. Oh, we don't want to ruin their day by bringing it up. Right, right. (laughs) And the truth is, nobody's talking about it, which is the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're all thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, parents and siblings, grandparents, we're all thinking about our child who is no longer with us, but nobody wants to talk about it. So I kind of make people talk about it, but through my writing, I bring it up in group settings, you know, if it's appropriate, I just kind of toss it out there. And if somebody needs to talk, they can. And if they don't, that's okay. But again, all of my experiences, I just want other people who feel alone to know there's at least one other person who does kind of get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So why don't you talk about what happened to Jason and when that was? Jason, when he got to be an older teenager, he went to live with his dad in uh, the Detroit, Michigan area. Uh And so he continued, you know, his life there and graduated from high school. Then he got a job with big company and became a a telephone pole climber. Mm -hmm. 
And that is um, where he died was in a work-related auto accident. His death was instantaneous. They said he didn't survive but moments from that, from his accident. How old was he? He was 23. Okay. So it's been, it's just short of 19 years since he died. It's uh, been 30 years since Alicia died. Mm -hmm. I got the phone call. Um, His dad called me and told me that he'd just been notified that Jason was in an accident. And I, we hung up. We didn't, I, I didn't know anything yet. I was just begging God that he got hurt. You know, I didn't know he had died. I just was told he was in an accident. Right. So I was begging God that it was minimal. I called the school and brought my two kids home, had them come home from school, told them that Jason had been in an accident. And then just a few minutes later, we got the call that Jason had died. And of course, I mean, you know, it's still devastating to think about that moment um, because whoever thinks that it'll happen twice and it, and it doesn't happen that often. No, no. I mean, it happens once rarely. So to happen twice. Once rarely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, had no idea why would my God allow that to happen to us twice after this many years, that isn't a question anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just part of our reality. And we know that we just trust, we choose to trust that God knows why, yeah. even if we don't understand all the details. Mm-hmm. But again, for me, and I can't speak for my two living children because they have their own journey yeah. through their grief and their healing and their adult lives. When Jason died, uh, Robert was 16 and Audrey was 13. So very delicate time for them to lose another sibling. Yeah. My, my other kids were 16 and 12. So, Mm -hmm. and it has affected their whole lives. Yeah. Completely and deeply. We're all different people. Yeah. After the deaths of two. I'm sure. But thankfully I think we're good people. Yeah. And we love other people and we do choose to help other people in their trials and, and tragedies a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was very grateful that Jason didn't linger and then die like Alicia had. I think I would have gone crazy. I, I really believe I would have lost my mind yeah. since it was abrupt. And we actually hadn't seen Jason, you know, for months, there's kind of a little bit of a padding, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course, we did, you know, pack up, head to Detroit, you know, we had to do a lot of stuff in a short amount of days. It was very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew us. Yeah. Right. So at the funeral, nobody knew I was Jason's mom. I had to tell people I was Jason's mom and that was hard. And Robert and Audrey, nobody knew them. Nobody knew that was their brother. So that was really hard for us. Yeah. And Jason, despite the fact that he wanted to be buried by his sister, all had talked about death 
and yes, where do we want to be buried and all of that. So there was kind of a plan in motion should something happen again. Um, but Jason's dad wouldn't allow it. So Jason is buried back east. And so that's a little bit tough because we don't have any family back there. All of our family is, you know, over here, Colorado and Idaho. And so, so it's, you know, we, we don't have a place to go just set and mourn or remember. So we have to kind of make our own memorials Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That it definitely was different in those two circumstances because I think of losing Andy and you losing Alicia, like all they're younger, all, everything is there. You know, you walk past their room every day there. I mean, Andy's backpack was still hung up and all of that is just, everything is just there. And when you lose someone who, after they've kind of moved out and left how different that must be in some ways. I think, uh, I think it's both easier and harder because it's easier because it's, is painful to see all those reminders all of the time. But on the other hand, it can bring you a little bit of comfort too, to still, you know, be able to hug Andy's favorite teddy bear and things like that. So yeah. Talk about that difference. Yeah, it was very tough. Jason had an apartment. We had flown there. Mm -hmm. We had to completely clean out his apartment in like four hours so that, you know, so that nobody was liable for more rent and all of that. We had no way to get his belongings back here. We didn't have the, I mean, I'd probably do a whole lot of things completely different right now yeah well but you just can't think even I mean you just can't honestly you know it was just a little over 10 years later that Jason had died and we were shocked out of our minds yeah completely with Alicia of course being so young there's not a lot of mementos Mm mm-hmm School papers, little mm-hmm. projects, some clothes, you know, Barbie dolls. I have all, I have her items in, in a small trunk yeah. with Jason um, because he was so far away and we couldn't get everything back here. Again, they don't have that many mementos. Mm-hmm. I brought home like all the letters, you know, that we had with, um, that myself and family had written him and cards and stuff like that. We have like his watch, which I had engraved and gave to my son for his graduation present. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a few things. I wear a ring that Jason always wore, but we have very little of Jason as well. So I did bring home a suitcase full of clothes that we always saw him in. Yeah. Yeah. And that I still have that suitcase of clothes. I haven't done anything with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I want is one, one repercussion, I think that happened between Alicia's death and Jason's for me is I started hanging on to everything that the kids did at school. Yeah. I hung on to every single scrap piece of paper. And then when my granddaughter was born, um, my first one, 
I mean, I have so much stuff in my house because I started hoarding it just in case. Yeah. And so I, after going to Greece apart, yeah. And then I did, I did go to Chicago about five years ago for an intense healing. And that kind of broke a lot of things that had kept me bound up in my grief. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm in the process of trying to sort through a lot of that stuff because everybody does something different mm-hmm. with their grief. And for me, I, I started hoarding yeah. <laughs> and writing, writing and hoarding, writing and hoarding. But I have to tell you, so between Alicia's death and Jason's death, I started, I wrote a book with somebody and during that process, which was phenomenal, it was a good um, and joyful time. Mm-hmm. I also had a lot of spiritual attacks and I don't know if you want me to go into that or not. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I, I'll say, I know you can re- delete if you need to, but um, I felt like Satan told me to my face, I'm going to rob you of every bit of joy you could ever possibly get from writing this book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, get out of here. Yeah. But, the truth is after we got a publisher and all that and everything had been going super smooth, my ex-husband started coming into the picture and calling every day and threatening us. And so we had a lot of acts like that. About the book? You mean? No. Or no, just unrelated. His, my two younger children. Mm-hmm. My book was published and two weeks later, my book got released and two weeks later, Jason died. So, oh my word, the book is on adoption. And so it came out in time for national adoption month and publisher flew me to Texas for a live TV show to talk about the book. And we, we did all these, my co-author and I, we did like hundreds of live radio interviews. Mm -hmm. I I, I remember none of that. Like, right. I really was robbed of all my joy. of writing the book. So from 2002, when Jason died through 2019, Mm -hmm. I never wrote again, except for my newspaper. Really? Mm -hmm. So in 2019, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I cannot allow this to go on any longer. If something's if something bad is going to happen, I believe it's actually already written, mm-hmm. and God already knows. Yeah, I believe God wants to give all of us. He loves every human being on the mm-hmm. face of this planet, and I believe He wants to bless all of us. But yet, I wasn't allowing Him to bless me. Mm-hmm. He gave me the passion to write. That what did not come from me, and I wasn't allowing him to work through me in that way. And I was blocking. I mean, I was doing my job with paper, Yeah. but I wasn't utilizing it. I was blocked. I was seriously blocked and living in fear that something else would happen. If I pursued my passion, I felt like somebody else was going to die. So it took all those years, Mm -hmm. wasted years in a sense, 
but not totally. Cause of course I believe God already knew that was going to happen, but as a human, it feels wasted. Yeah. I finally decided I've got it no matter what, if I write and somebody dies, I'm not causing it. My writing isn't causing it. Yeah. But that was a fear that I lived in. It's funny how that is that way. I was grown, growing up, I was 15 years old and my grandmother, who I was very close to, died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And she had cancer for a long, long time. So she passed away. And it was hard on me because my family had moved from South Dakota to Iowa to be close to my grandparents because she was dying. And then really within a very few months, she died. And it was hard to move as a freshman in high school to move to a new school. And I sort of my parents had my dad had grown up there. And so we knew a few people that had been family friends, but not really. Right. So I'm in this new Mm -hmm. school as a freshman and and it it was hard and and it was challenging. And then I lost my grandmother, who I just adored. Right. We she was a writer. My grandmother was a writer and we both loved to read. And it was just she was the only other person in my family that like loved to read like me. So she would buy a book and she would read it and she would give it to me. So I, I still have so many of my grandmother's books. Ugh. So it took a while to recover. And then the next summer, my mother got diagnosed with breast cancer and she went through all of her treatment. And that was again, really hard and really challenging. And, but then, you know, I'm starting to make friends and I'm starting to do better. And then what happens my junior year in high school then my dad gets cancer. And I felt I got to that point, just similar to what you said, that I felt like, okay, I think I should never get better from this. Dad has cancer now. So first grandma died, and then mom got cancer, and then dad got cancer. And every time I kind of got happy again, and as soon as I seemed to get happy again, whammo, something really horrible happened. So I just need to stay sad. You know, exactly. So so I tried doing that and for a while again. And then but lo and behold, you start to get better and you start to heal. And then and then what happened? Then my mom got her recurrence of her cancer and eventually died when I was in college. And after that one, after my mom died when I was in college, I really did feel like, okay, yep, you just can't be happy anymore. This you just have to life is just awful and this is the way it's going to be and that stuck with me a long time I mean I told myself you're never going to get married you're never going to have kids you're never going to have this good life I mean I went to medical school not even really having done a whole lot of dating because I hadn't even got myself want to get happy you know because that's just the kinds of thoughts that end up going to your head that are so screwed up right it is. It is screwed up, isn't it? It is screwed up. It is screwed up. And I remember my husband thinking, he, he, you know, I met him in medical school and we're dating in medical school. And I would always, my mantra was always like, it was ex- expecting the worst. Like I always expected the worst to happen because in general, the worst seemed to kind of happen. I was like, I would hope for the best, but I really expected it to be the worst. And exactly. he was like, it is really hard to be with a person that is always thinking something horrible is going to happen. Right? It is. <laughs> it is. So I I did finally get to this point where I felt better. And then I got to like, you know, I think maybe God owes me. God gave me a really cruddy few years in adolescence and growing up. And that was really bad. But 
God owes me now. So now it's going to be smooth sailing. Now I'm, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I've got my three kids. We took a foster kid from Guatemala. I mean, we're like, I didn't think anything bad would happen. So I went from expecting something bad to happen to having this transformation like, yep, I'm good now. Nothing bad will happen. And then again, you know, it's obviously many, many years later. And then I think by that point, I had gotten to that, I have a change of mindset where I don't expect something horrible is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I also, when you talked about God knowing what was going to happen, I totally believe that too. I 100% believe that God knew what was going to happen. But I don't believe that God like made it happen. I don't believe that God made that woman hit us and kill Andy. I believe God knew it was going to happen. I believe he sat there at the side of the road crying with me. I, I agree. believe he's never, ever left me through it all. But he knew. He knew it was going to I happen. I agree. Mm -hmm. And there's such a huge difference. So that goes back to you saying, you know, how could God let this happen to me? I mean, I guess he did in some ways, but he knew it was going to happen. But that doesn't mean he made it happen or he manipulated these events in such a way right. to like screw you over you know that I agree a hundred percent yeah so I do very similar mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very much so I think at one point somebody used to always tell me that's just your lot in life uh -huh. and I think that attitude actually does kind of come from a, a feeling like you're just getting screwed over yes I don't feel that God did that to me I guess how I honestly feel after this many years, you know, please, you know, no, I would take my children back in a heartbeat. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I miss them sometimes way more than other times. Sometimes one I'm thinking about more and not the other, but then the other will come in. Mm -hmm. um, after this long I can honestly say that I get a little melancholy, you know, on the anniversary days, birthdays, yeah. you know, certain special memories. But I think how I look at it now is I feel very blessed that God trusted me with this. Yeah. Wow. I feel wow. like it has become a privilege, if you will, to be a part of something that God Again, knowing who, like I have, I have, I have friends right in my area who have had tremendous losses, some children, some fam, other family members, but I feel like it's a privilege to be a part of what God is doing in their lives in their and helping them heal and helping them are encouraging them to, I don't know encouraging them to remember that there still is joy in life, mm -hmm. that there is a season of sorrow. And I'll be the first to admit my season was like 20 years. Not that I was bawling my eyes out every day or not getting out of bed. It wasn't that. I think my, my season of grief and sorrow was more that I clung to my pain. Yeah. And I lived in fear. And even though I was working, raising my other two kids, having 
immense joy with my grandkids. You know, I still wasn't living to the fullest extent that I believe God wanted for me all those years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm really trying to do that. I really am trying to live in today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. I try to really be mindful or aware of, I guess, if God's encouraging me to do this podcast, mm-hmm. write an article, call a friend, rest, take a nap. Yeah. You know? the dishwasher. I really try to just live where I'm at right now. And I try not to beat myself up if I don't clean the house today. Or if I do want to just stay home in my pajamas all day, it's okay. Well, I like what you said about how you feel like you used to cling on to the pain. And I think a lot of us do that. We feel like holding on to that pain is how we can hold on to our kids. And if we let go of that pain, then we've somehow let go of our kids a little bit. And that's not what keeps us close to our kids. It's not that pain. I agree. And it feels like it is. And I would just, I just want to say that, like, shout it from the mountaintops, because it feels like that's the only way to stay close is to stay in pain and to stay that way. And you don't want other people to look at you and say, wow, she looks fine. Right. She must not have really loved her her kids that much because she just seems too happy. That's exactly that's you just can't let yourself go there because that's your mind playing these tricks on you because the pain isn't what keeps you close. The love keeps you close. And moving on and and living each day and doing things for other people and all of those things those are what keeps you close to your kids and when you are doing things like that you actually then become an inspiration to other people i agree a hundred percent think about how many people that you talk to who are going through a hard time and what must they think they must think wow look at kelly She's lost two kids and she can still smile and she can still help me. That means maybe there's hope for me too. I mean, that. I agree. Yeah, that's what you want people to be thinking. You want people to not look at you and say, oh, I don't think they are thinking this. You just think they are. They're thinking, they're not thinking, oh, why is she smiling? Her kid is dead. They're thinking, wow, she can still smile and her kid is dead. How can I get a little bit of that? It's so true. And hanging on to that pain, uh, you described it very well because I felt like as I was graduating from college, you know, moving forward, I felt like I was leaving Alicia behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I read there's an author, Marilyn Hevelin. Mm -hmm. She wrote Roses in December and When Dreams Die and several other books on grief And she actually lost three of her children. Oh, wow. And somebody gifted me one of her books at a time that was very pertinent for me, where I was afraid that I was leaving Alicia behind. And how Marilyn Hevelin described it was, we must remember that now our children are in heaven, 
they're in front of us. Yeah. They're ahead of us. They left us and behind, we right? Are yep. moving. Yes, they We're left us behind. Mm-hmm. And now we need to keep moving forward towards them. And someday we will all be together again. And I believe that. And that helped me tremendously start to, you know, not keep looking back. When you're racing, when you're running, you're not supposed to look at your competitors beside you or behind you. You're supposed to keep your face forward towards the goal, towards the finish line, because it's looking behind that trips you up mm-hmm. and causes even more trauma. Yeah. And now I can see that I can encourage people to keep looking forward, keep yeah. moving forward, looking ahead. And sometimes it means walking through the terrible pain and yeah. facing that pain, walking through that fire of trauma. But as scary as it is, you spend way more time avoiding it and fearing it than getting through it. When you make the choice to face it and walk through it, it actually happens quite quickly and mercifully. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I don't think it's quite as bad as we envision it's going to be. So we just need to keep breathing. Yeah. Keep getting up in the morning, keep moving forward, keep doing what needs to be done in our life yeah. for however long it is. I just love that. Thank you so much for that little insight, because now I'm just thinking about instead of Andy being, you know, two and a half years in my past, I can think about him waiting for me and him being ahead of me. And me, every day I live, I'm not getting further from him. I'm getting closer to him. You're getting closer. Yeah. And that's a pretty cool way to think because it's not the way I think a lot of times, right? It's right. think about the missing. Mm -hmm. Yes. We miss them terribly. Yeah. And they, they're cheering us on. The Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on to the finish line of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I believe our children are in that cheering section. They're our cheerleaders. They want us to get up. They want us to be what we're supposed to be this life. Mm -hmm. I believe with all my heart that God does grieve with us. Jesus loves us. He's wrapped his arms around us. He's encouraging us. He's helping us get up. But we also have to do a little, we have to let him do that. We have to reach out our hand to, to be comforted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I say to a lot of people. Please try to allow the Lord to comfort you because he is comforting you. Mm-hmm. But we do have to accept it. And I think for many years, I pushed it off. And I think allowing other other people to offer you comfort too. Because Absolutely. God will send who want to bring and- you food, who yeah. want to help you clean your house or watch your children if they're yeah. little, whatever it is. All those things. Let yeah. yourself be comforted. Let let that come in whatever manner it is. Yes. I didn't allow it so much after Alicia died, but with Jason. I allowed people to help me. I'd learned a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I allowed people to help me. I cried in public. Yeah. I said my kids' names when I needed to say them. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
um, with Robert and Audrey, my living children, we made a pact. If I need to talk, I'm going to tell you I need to talk. And you have every right to say, I can't do it right now. Yes. But, you know, maybe later, maybe tomorrow. And we didn't take anything personal anymore. Yeah. We respected each other. And we just now, you know, of course, we're very, very close. And family does mean everything to us. Mm -hmm. So before we wrap up here, tell us about this new writing venture of yours and what you've been working on. (laughs) Well, I guess that would be a project that was almost 31 years in the making. Yeah. With COVID, the first couple months of all the COVID lockdown, I really focused hard on working on a book on child loss. Yeah. So it's done. I'm marketing it now. It's called Keep Breathing. Oh. It's had a couple titles, but Keep Breathing is what the working title is right now. It isn't just my story. It is the stories from almost 100 different parents who have lost children, not just parents, grandparents, siblings. I have sibling stories. Aunts and uncles have shared stories. You know, just dads have shared stories. And so it's survivor's guide, if you will. And so there, all of us are sharing how we survived the death of our young person. It's about those who are struggling with like a long-term illness and then they died, or abrupt accidental deaths like mine, suicide, you know, again, it's from grandparents' perspectives, and other family members, and siblings, and, you know, a lot of siblings feel like, I should have died, why did they? So it covers all those bases. It isn't really a book that's focused on death, it is focused on life, and how you can keep living And here's some little tricks that those of us who have gone before you, Mm -hmm. this is how we did it. So it's an encouraging book for somebody who has suffered that loss Mm -hmm. more recent than I did. Well, I think that's great that you're trying to kind of offer some help that way. And you've got a web page, right? That people can go to learn more about you. It's kellymartindaleauthor.com. Mm-hmm. And I will have a link to for that, that if you go to my webpage at andysmom.com, you can, we can have a link right there to be able to get you to learn a little more about Kelly. Wonderful. Wonderful. So thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing your children with us and your journey. I've learned a lot. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.